we need to have things that we can't fit into a neat little box mm. in order to create an amazing experience. This is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acre. And before we bring on our guest today, we'd love it if you take a minute to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're not already subscribed. And while you're there, drop us a review to let us know how we're doing. We're reading here on the show. Two points there. Number one, Apple actually has like uh, numbers out now where we can see how many subscribers we have. So Dang. we know if you're subscribing or not. We can see. Yeah, we can see. How many people are listening. How All those listeners sure that haven't subscribed, please subscribe. And the other one, I got to say, I'm running out of reviews. So please, I call upon the Stay Paid Army to get out there on Apple Podcasts. Drop us a review so we can read them here on the show. We are going to bring on our guest today. Her name is Kristen Shea. Did not mean to make that rhyme, but I think it worked out pretty good. (laughs) Now, longtime listeners are going to recognize that name because Kristen was on the show uh, way back on episode 79, just over three years ago. And when she was on last time, she was working as a senior advisor consultant at Highland Capital Brokerage. Now she's on a new journey as a full-time business development coach at Triad Partners and has just published her first of which I'm sure there'll be many books titled The Truth About Digital Marketing for Financial Advisors. Kristen, welcome back to Stay Paid. What's going on, guys? Kristen, is, uh, it, it is all sentimental. Yeah, it is. Like Seriously, I was going to say. Interview we had to do with you guys. Uh, it was like, uh, I think I told you guys the other day, it was like the snowball starting to roll down on the other side of the hill. Uh, this is this is, this is awesome. I think we've, we've all upgraded. I love your... Yeah, well, we definitely we're out of the, the neon. We're out of the second closet and we're now into the third closet, the fourth, fourth closet. So we started the podcast oh. in a closet and then we went to a big, bigger closet within this our company. Is nicer. This, is, this is a room. This yeah, is a room we, we turned have left into the closet space yeah. in the fourth yeah. studio. So we are in a bigger closet now. It's it's pretty awesome. Yes. A lot has changed. Hard to believe it's been three years uh, since we interviewed you the first time. That's It's crazy. You have been crushing the game. I can't wait to talk today a little bit about content. I follow you on LinkedIn. You're just killing it on content. Everybody should check out Kristen on LinkedIn and see how to do content really well. But would love for you just to, for the audience who's maybe never heard about you before, your story, you know, would love for you to share just a little bit of how you got into just this whole idea of marketing and helping financial advisors and financial professionals with their marketing. And then bring us up to today. I know you just launched Triad Partners, um, where you're doing the IMO thing there and crushing it. So if you could share a little bit about your story, that'd be awesome. This is 30. How long is this episode? (laughs) This is like 45 minutes. So you got three minutes to give your whole life journey. No. (laughs) Okay, great. 100 Mississippi. Got it. Uh, So graduated high school to get ahead. Hadn't channeled my energy to be a productive uh, member of society. (laughs) Uh, Hadn't channeled my energy for for it to be good yet, I guess. Uh, Went to community college. Got into a car accident, had some brain trauma, had to drop out of community college. It was like 16, 17, 18. Um, by the time I got good again and had channeled my energy, you know, recovered my brain injury, uh, I felt like everything I'd done to pretty much get ahead was kind of for nothing. And it wasn't. But I was waiting tables, got my associate transferred to George Mason. Uh, and I was studying economics. Um just because it just so happened to be the fastest route out, but I enjoyed it because it was, um, it, it, it's a, it's a, 
has a study that is focused on people. It's, it's, a, it's a very psychology-based um, and uh, like quality of life-based, I think, um, course or, I don't know, topic, study. I don't know. I didn't graduate college, so there's the, there's the thing. <laughs> uh, dropped out. Um, uh, two nice gentlemen uh, who I didn't know much about except for they tipped well, offered me a job. And I dropped out and of college, all of it, and found myself in the corner of the world uh, that wholesales annuities to independent financial advisors. Um, had a little bit of an identity crisis, dyed my hair black, always considered myself um, like an artist and a student and a servant of the people. Would never have gone down the psychology path because I don't think I'm good enough with hmm. details. Uh, to go to med school um, for that. So, I, you know, at first I was like, oh, I'm, I'm part of the man, I'm part of the machine, I'm in finance. And then very quickly after realized that if there was a place to um, be a student and a servant of the people and be an artist and create change in a place that really needed it uh, or had at least opportunities for it, um, this is it. So fell in love with the industry probably eight, nine years ago. Um, the IMO I was at was, family. They were acquired a couple of times. Um, things got bigger and, um, they just got a little bit too big for me and 2020 hit. And I'm looking around at the industry, you know, like the fire alarms are going off for webinars. Webinars are the new thing. Webinars are, you know, the new seminars, you, you know, like everybody go move to Taiwan and conduct business there because everyone's going to go virtual. Brook and mortar, mortar is dead. And um, it didn't sit right with me. I mean, there have been a lot of other things. I mean, I, I think there's kind of like, you look around the industry, a lot of these companies just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So no surprise, our company was acquired a couple of times. Again, amazing organization, amazing people. Um, but the marketing companies included kept getting bigger. And it kind of created this like conveyor belt culture. And I, a lot of the seminar companies... Uh, they, they have to make money. So no, no, uh, no disrespect, no, um, nothing against them, but they're like, holy crap. We have all these seminars, but we got to pivot to webinars. Webinars are the new seminars and the prices, obviously they still had to make money. They didn't want to go out of business, but I wasn't really comfortable with how, uh, they're being presented to advisors over the course of the seven, eight years that I was at my company. I kind of, the stance of I want to do things differently you know like the best way to build your business as a wholesaler was to make a hundred thousand cold calls a day and I'm like well why don't I just use like the internet <laughs> what, what <laughs> this is a crazy millennial approach why don't I just use LinkedIn and um at that point I had, it had opened up a podcast interview with you and other opportunities and towards the Rolling Stones and um, really, really fell in love with marketing. And I think our industry really needs a lot of help. So anyways, webinar thing came up and a lot of advisors were kind of oversold and underpromised. Overpromised, oversold, underdelivered, excuse me. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, you look at other industries and webinars were working at a third of the cost. And I knew other advisors and I learned how to eventually do it myself, fill custom webinar campaigns, not on a conveyor belt, that were a third of the cost with much better results, not just from a registrant perspective, but also a lead conversion perspective, because there's a difference between registrants and conversion. Um, 
I think I'm over 100 seconds, but th- this is it. There's a home stretch on the dancer. <laughs> explain, um, explain the conveyor belt culture because you brought that up a couple times. And I also saw it in your LinkedIn uh, banner, you know, one of these things that, that isn't working. Like, what, what do you mean as the conveyor belt culture versus kind of the alternative that you found? Well, well uh, the conveyor belt culture... As these companies get bigger and bigger, right? You you see it all over the place, right? You see it in probably all industries. Obviously, financial services and the independent advisor space is the place where I'm the most focused. But you just see big companies gobbling up smaller companies, right? And when that happens, the amount of people that they serve, and uh, that number goes through the roof. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not serving 100 advisors. You're serving 1,000 advisors or 10,000 advisors or 20,000 advisors. And when you're... you can't scale custom, you can't scale innovation. Mm, so gotcha. what ends up happening, because what's more, what's more, what's the most efficient thing for this company where the people at the top of this large organization were really far away from the end user, not as close as they were when it was a smaller organization. They just, they, they can't help it. It's just by design. It's, it's understood, right? It's common sense that they're out of touch with what, the advisors really want and crave and decisions are made, uh, live and die by the, by the spreadsheets and what's efficient for the organization. And, um, I, my, my personal take was that it, it was more about the company's efficiency than it was the advisor's experience. So, mm-hmm. um, what's cheap is to bring everything in house, create a couple different templates, pop an advisor's n- n- picture, bio, maybe tweak the color scheme on it and mm-hmm. say, Hey, here's your custom world-class, stuff that we're going to charge you, uh, at like a 6,000% markup on. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we are, we're in such a commoditized industry. It, uh, and, and part of that, I, I think is, I mean, and that, I don't, there's nobody to blame for that. It's just a problem that we can all solve together, but using the exact same website, brochure, seminar, whatever it, it doesn't really help the whole decommoditizing thing. And it also, and therefore the trickle down because our industry doesn't have a great reputation um, for high levels of trust with consumers. It doesn't allow advisors to break out of that, create personal intimate connections based off of what is important to them Mm -hmm. via a custom presence Mm. and value proposition. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like that idea of the cookie cutter model uh, that is a one size fits all whenever everybody's in, an individual and to really create a custom experience with them, you have to do a little bit more. So what are you, what's kind of been your answer to that? And uh, how are you creating custom experiences for clients while still being able to scale? Uh, that's the thing is uh, I was actually just reading, um, I think a tweet storm by some thought leader on Twitter, which was that, the best ideas for a startup are not scalable. Mm. So you can't, you can't come up with an idea. You, you, you can't build a business and day one think, how am I going to scale this? You have to think day one, how am I going to create something really special? Mm. Like if you think about the, the story of uh, people who built Airbnb, they would, the, the founders of it would fly out to each property and take all of the pictures themselves. They weren't thinking about what's scalable. Um, probably, you know, there's like a limit, there's like a lack of resources that made that possible. That's not scalable. They're not doing that today, but that's what they had to do to get it off the ground. Um, we, uh, the mission honestly is to be efficient, but 
there's a, there's a level of scale that I hope we never reach because at that point, um, the human touch goes away. If it's just, if it's at a certain point, there's like a threshold where it's like, we need to have things that we can't fit into a neat little box Mm. in order to create an amazing experience. Mm. That's maybe an extreme take, but, um, I want to, I want to reserve 30% of what we do for like the wild card. Wow. Innovation. Yeah. You know? No, I, it reminds me, you mentioned Airbnb going out and taking photos of homes. We actually went out when we started <laughs> and took photos of the real estate agents in their office. Yeah, that didn't scale either. That didn't scale either. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're so true. No. It, it reminds me of the concept in your book, Magnetic Authenticity. Um, and this whole idea of magnetic authenticity. I would love for you to share kind of your concept there of magnetic authenticity and really why you are writing the book and, and did this. Well, so 2020 happened. I had a friend reach out, um, pretty uh, friend reach out. Like, I can't, I don't know. I can't see his name right now. Um, but say he left a competitor and, um, uh, we talked on the phone for like three hours and the vision was to build something really boutique and intimate. And the last thing I ever want to do is go to another IML. It's kind of like, eh, it's all the same. It's all the same everywhere. So we built a community instead, um, signed a piece of paper on a hotel, flew out to Kansas from Northern Virginia. Uh, so let's uh, change the industry and uh, change lives and have a lot of fun doing it. The ghost at the hotel, find it. It's an empty line, but it's signed. And uh, so that was probably, that was November 2nd. Uh, left my husband in Virginia and we built, um, it's a two part, and part one is, you know, what we built. And then two, I think there's the digital marketing side. Um, we built a really high level community for advisors, intimate community, exclusive, um, that's based off of quality uh over quantity it's not more 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 do more this do more that spend more money do you know do more seminars whatever but um it's it's more about living a better better life it's uh there's an advisor um that i know that said every single plaque that i have on my wall represents another year of my life that i wasted Mm. you know and that's and that's the those are the problems that elite advisors have right because when you conveyor belt culture, you have to scale down to the lowest common denominator. So you think about the advisor who writes one annuity contract a year based off of whoever he goes in and sees that his family reunion who may have had a rollover, right? Um, that's who all the IMOs work with. And if you offer them a website, they're like, holy crap, I got a website I can show my cousin when I sell them a life insurance policy or whatever. Elite advisors don't want that. They want more freedom in their life and they want to be able to duplicate themselves and create scale. Right. So we created a really intimate group in order to do that. Um, and it's really all about a custom experience for them and a custom amazing experience for their clients inside of um, a repeatable, duplicatable and proven framework for sales, marketing operations, all of it. Um, my book was... Sean, if you know Sean Sparks, he wrote uh, The Advisor Breakthrough. He's the CEO here. Um, as I'm, I'm not a, I'm not an owner. I'm, I was, I was the first employee. I feel like an owner. Uh, but, 
just, you know, when you put the desk together and all that, uh, <laughs> first day out here, he said, you should write a book because he wrote a book. He cloned himself, which is rule number one. You're not supposed to clone yourself, I guess, when you start your start a business. You're supposed to, they say you're supposed to get a uh, executive assistant. We get business coaching from Michael Hyatt with our advisors, which is an example of it. We brought, we don't want the best business coaches in our industry. We want the best business coaches outside of our industry. We pay $100,000 to get access to Michael Hyatt usually. Um, but he coaches the founders of our advisors mm. on a quarterly yeah, basis intimate setting. But uh, he called himself and said, you should write a book. I said, okay, yeah, for sure. I'll write a book. Uh, not, <laughs> not the best timing. Um, when I'm and did a podcast circuit, told everyone I was going to publish a book, wanted it done before my wedding last year. And then eventually I decided to say like, this is happening and then live with a year of, telling everybody I was going to publish a book and then just going silent on it. So the hype train. Um, yeah. it, it is published <laughs> uh, now by the time you guys are listening to this. Yeah. And um, that was kind of more of a passion project. I'm an advisor coach. I'm not a digital marketer, um, but it's an education thing. And it's something that I think matters for the industry because in the way I see it, by helping advisors, we get to help people. You know, I can help way more people by helping advisors and just on an individual basis and the better advisors get at marketing, which is not even marketing. It is connecting and adding value and engaging, mm. uh, which I like to refer to as cave connect, add value, engage uh, the, the more people we can help and the greater impact advisors can make uh, in so their good. communities. So mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a combination of the business coaching, not, not saying, Hey, uh, hey, here's a whole bunch of different marketing ideas. Let's just add them to your plate. So this can be another ball that you juggle. It's, hey, like, let's take a step back. Let's look at your business. Let's look at your org chart. Let's look at um, who who the experts are. Is this your area of expertise? Because probably not. If you're the lead advisor, there's probably other things that you could be doing. How can we build this in a way that for, helps you create more freedom in your life and in a way that is authentic to you? Mm. Um, and then all the digital marketing hacks on the, on the back end. Um, I feel like I didn't answer your question about <laughs> magnetic authenticity, but well, what uh, is magnetic authenticity? Close the loop. <laughs> well, I love the, oh. the cave, the cave really stands out to me. That idea of giving value, engaging. So you want to connect and you want to add value. You want to engage. I think that's so key. And then also, I think the pain point that you're talking about so often, you know, we see this, but nobody wants to talk about it because we live in a hustle culture, right? Mm -hmm. We live in a hype culture. But the reality is, is so many people are working their lives away. And that statement that one of your advisors made, every time I see a plaque on my wall, I see it as another year wasted. I mean, wow, that is sad, but it's also powerful to make sure, you know, you sit down and you, you think about your life and you reflect and go, hey, what am I working for? Uh, because it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, but we're so caught up in the destination because all of our peers judge us on the destination and we constantly fold to the opinion of others. So I just think that's a powerful, powerful point that you're attacking. The magnetic authenticity, what I loved about what you, what you say about it in the book is this concept of like being true to your authentic self, you, you know, a magnet repels. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? of this idea of the repelling of the magnet plus the, obviously the magnetizing of it? Yeah. So it's, you, before we had this podcast, right, Luke, you were like, I want, I, 
I, I want to, I want you to talk me through this. And, um, you know, the, the thing that I shared with you and, uh, the big message that I think I, I want to get across in the book is that your marketing should be a magnet. Yeah, for sure. But what a lot of people forget about magnets is that they work two ways. Yes, they attract, but they also repel. You don't want to work with everybody. You don't, um, you are not all things to all people. And honestly, the more people that you are repelling um, by being your true authentic self, getting really laser focused on the people you love to help and the problems you're really good at solving and you love to solve, and you talk about what's really personal to you, the more people you're repelling, you may be attracting less people, but the people that do attract, that are attracted to you and your like true authentic self are going to trust you way more than any other person with who I do financial planning. I do this, I do that. I do this this list of services. They're like, man, like I like this person. Like I trust this person. Um, and, and that's where it's at. I mean, and there's plenty of of business in the people that you attract you don't need everybody. I mean, what was it? Someone said, was it Grant Cardone? You can win the presidency, which is, I mean, 50% of the United States, well, 51% of the United States like you. The other 49% can hate you. <laughs> I mean, we've literally seen that play so out. Impressive. But the, I mean, the point being That's is amazing. like, you don't need everybody to like you. And that is a common pitfall. Fall. I mean, we still fall into it. Like even Josh and I today, in a meeting, we were talking about just our podcast content and going, hey, are we niche enough? Should we be more narrow in episodes? Because are we trying to cast too wide of a net? I mean, it applies to every bit of content. I'd love to hear your take. Everybody should go look uh, Christian Shea up on LinkedIn because you're going to see a ton of content and pull up her content. There's real engagement there, real likes, real comments. The comments are what impressed me, the, the tribe you've built. How are you thinking about your content and how you put it out? Do do you have any like thoughts on like your strategy behind your post on LinkedIn and stuff like that? Is it kind of a free flow from your heart? Like, how do you go about that process? Because you're, you're crushing it with your content on LinkedIn. If you're a financial advisor and are only connecting with men, you're neglecting half of your business right out of the gate. Women make up half of the workforce and by 2030, they're expected to control half of the nation's wealth. But if you find yourself struggling to gain or keep female clients, there's hope. Go to ReminderMedia.com slash retention and download our free guide to retaining female and next generation clients. That's ReminderMedia.com slash retention. But don't wait. Take action on this today. That's a really big question, Luke. Uh, let me let me give you an example, kind of a supportive, a supporting story from outside of our industry, from a company you may recognize. And then I'll, I'll give you my light bulb moment. Um, that that that's kind of been the paved the path for everything that my LinkedIn is today. Um, McDonald's. We'll go back to McDonald's, 1948. Okay, the first McDonald's was actually a ribs restaurant. Okay, it was in San Bernardino, California. They had the traditional uh, like drive up model, right? So we're um, shoot. They still have them out here. The ones that sell the, sell the Slurpees, I guess. It's, but it's like, whatever. Like a um, Sonic or something you, like that? Yes, Sonic. Yep. I'm thinking Z. That's close enough. Hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so they were traditional drive-in models, right? Girls on roller skates, 
you would place your order. They had a full kitchen. They had they had a full menu and they were the best ribs place in town. That was what they were known for. But they had a couple problems. And um, one, it was one, they, they wanted to become more efficient. But the, but the problem that started this was the fact that they had a lot of teenage boys who were loitering and watching these um, young women on roller skates going back and forth between the cars and the kitchen hmm. that they didn't want there. They were taking the parking spaces, they were taking the area, um, blocking potential ideal customers from buying. So what did they do? They were the first one of their kind to get rid of the car hop model and move into a self-service model. And then uh, with that, no more bellhops, right? I mean, no more uh, girls on roller skates. Uh, no more loitering boys, more families, more um, students, more busy professionals. That was that was the first thing. And then they said, well, heck, while we're at it, let's get a little bit more efficient. And they whittled their menu down. They got rid of the ribs, got down to nine items, all handheld items, right? So got rid of all the forks, plates, all of that. Um, and they basically said, take it or leave it, right? So whether it's getting, whether it's saying, you know what, I would like to repel all of these teenage boys who just sit here and stare all day and don't pay for anything or them saying, you know, I know you like the ribs, but it's not the number one seller on the menu. Actually, our, our hamburgers are, I'm sorry. This is, we want to attract people who want to buy hamburgers. Um, that, uh, that was them kind of being magnetic. Is that, does that make sense? And is that a good, like outside of the industry place to start? No, it makes perfect sense. I didn't know McDonald's actually started as a rib place. Yeah. That's actually new knowledge to myself. It, it reminds me of Chick-fil-A today. I think they only have 12 items on their menu uh, where the average one has like 40 plus items um, on the menu, but they are good at one thing and, or they want to be good at, you know, one thing, which is the chicken sandwich and all that stuff and just serving it hot and fresh. And there's another, you know, other examples that you could give on Chick-fil-A, but it reminds me of something similar to that. And look at them. They've built a tribe. The average Chick-fil-A makes $5 million where all the other restaurants make two to 3 million right out there. And so they're, they're literally, and they're closed one day yeah, a week, six days out of the week. Yeah. I mean, they're only open six days out of seven. Days. So it's pretty, it's right. the same exact right. type of idea. Wanna... They're just appealing exactly. to their audience. 100%. Sorry. You want to eat on Sundays? We don't serve on Sundays. Yep. You, you good with it or what? So my light bulb moment was a complete accident. I had a, there was a younger woman that I was working with and she was approached by a male advisor in a way that she wasn't comfortable with. And she yeah. asked me, uh, what to do in that situation. And I was really frustrated because I didn't know what to tell her. I, it was like the best advice I could give her at that time was almost to deal with it. But it was just kind of like mm. part of the gig as a young woman. And I went home frustrated, woke up and frustrated, uh, took a shower, hair was still wet, red lipstick, leather jacket, brick wall, just pulled up my phone, the early LinkedIn days for me. And I recorded a video about a time that, I was at a conference. I was the only woman there. And um, there's a group of guys senior to me, uh, age and in position, um, not at my company, but colleagues. And uh, trivia game was name a hole you can't get into. Um, and somebody pointed at me and said, like this one. Ugh. So the guy literally called me a hole in front of everybody. And I was really frustrated that morning that I couldn't give, I couldn't, I couldn't say anything other than, you know, you kind of have to deal with it. And also, you know, men have to step up and um, stand up for the women and that like create a culture where that's not acceptable. Right. So I record it. 
upload, don't think twice. And then, and then after it's uploaded, it was like, Oh, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) What have I, what have I done? (laughs) Um, panicked, ran into my boss's office. (sighs) This is okay. And then, but what I found was it was, I mean, I got like 50 likes on it, but that was like bonkers, you know, six Mm -hmm. years ago of people that, um, were like, I love this. I love this. I love this. And, and then I was like, Oh, well, anybody who doesn't love this, I don't really think I want to work with them. You don't even want to be a part of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was kind of the light bulb moment where it's, I'm not going to, there's no value in so the key word of social media is social, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a community. It's, this is, this is about relationships. It's not about generating leads and it's not about like driving people to landing pages. And it's not about like picking up names and phone numbers or getting more followers. It's about building relationships and you can't build a relationship with anybody unless you are being your true authentic self. That, that's what friendships are based off of. You're mm-hmm. friends with everyone, you're friends with nobody. And, um, I think I've committed to that and um, it's really fulfilling. It it feels good. It's not hard. It's fun. You know, it's almost like LinkedIn's almost like my own, like personal diary. (laughs) It's like a little, with like my, like, with like my people. You know? I love how it's working so well for you. And I, and I think in your book, you talk about this idea of the computer algorithm, which so many people sort of obsess over. Like that's, we spend so much of our time even talking yeah, about seriously. what's the algorithm going to like versus what I think you're hitting on. And the inverse of that that you speak about is the human algorithm. How are you actually connecting with yes. the person on the other end of that computer? 100%. The one question that everybody asks is like, so what, so what are you doing in the algorithm on LinkedIn? Like, how do we, how do I get the algorithm to work for me on LinkedIn? And it, it, it just so happens that the algorithm are built on the social media platform to mirror the human human algorithm, but forget the algorithm. The human algorithm is is the only one that matters. It's not B2B. It's not B2C. It's HH. People do business with people and knowing that social media is, should be social. It's not a place for sales, right? (laughs) If it was a sales place, it would be, like eBay, right? Where it's just all ads, all people making money. The social media platforms, they want to keep you because they're not nonprofits. They want to keep you on the platform for as long as possible. Right. Um, so that they, so that the people that do spend money on ads uh, get a higher ROI and then they continue to spend money on ads. That's where their money is made. But the way that they keep you on the platform, yeah, sure. You know, they, they cater to whatever data they have on you and they think you're going to like, but it's mostly related to content from content you like from the people that you like. Mm-hmm. So it's who's they're they're looking to make connections. If you, you know, you make a new, so if you message somebody, you spend a lot of time messaging somebody or you like a lot of their posts, comment on their posts, their posts start showing up in your feed and vice versa because the algorithm, social media algorithm saying like, Hey, these people might know each other and I think they're interested in each other. And that's just what the human algorithm does. It's two people, um, appreciate and are attracted to one another, then they're going to they're going to continue to show up um, for each other. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. Yeah, it really does. And it's so interesting. The more and more people we interview that are successful, they really start crossing that chasm, that big leap to go. You know what? I'm just going to be me, 
and I'm going to post about what I believe in. I don't care if it's controversial, non-controversial. You know, you want to be respectful. I think there's a difference between respect and your actual opinion. And that's a, you know, gray area, I think for most. But, you know, they really take in this whole idea of like, I'm not going to care anymore about what others are thinking. And what happens is, or at least from our interviews, what we see is there's a dynamic shift in their business. They end up actually getting more business because they've they've stopped overthinking, overanalyzing, and they're literally just getting out there, being their true self, posting about what they truly believe in, what they truly like. And guess what? It attracts other followers. It attracts other people. And those people actually get to know, like, and trust them and hopefully end up doing business with them. We've seen it play out to be true. It reminds me of Ed Milet one time. I saw him at a conference. I don't know if you follow Ed Milet or not, but he is amazing. All of you guys should follow him. And he shared at one point, he said, what's so interesting, he said, we're all in a movie and you know it's the movie of our lives and you're the star actor in your movie. And he said, you know, when you get to the end of a movie and you're watching the credits go up and you're seeing all the actors and you see the names of the actors, this person played this person, this person played this person. He goes, and if you stay till the end of the credits, you start getting to where it's cameraman two, you know, Johnny, whatever, cameraman three. And he said, most of us out there are so worried about what cameraman two thinks that we're letting cameraman two dictate the path of our life. And they have, there's nothing that they play into the role of the whole movie. And so it's like, it's such a powerful thing to realize that, hey, look, these people that are dictating the path of your life, the narrative of your story, they're not even the main actor. They're not even like a co-star in the movie. It's cameraman one, cameraman three. You're not even going to care what they think at the end. You don't even know who they are. And that was a really powerful moment that I heard Ed Milet share on stage one time that really stuck with me of going, you are the main actor in your story. Mm. You are the one that dictates your story. You're writing the script and it's, it's a living script, right? You're controlling the script as you go. You're writing it as, as you go. Speaking of, you know, all the successful people that we've had on the podcast, we love to ask them, you know, Hey, do you have any routines that you implement in your life? I would love to ask you that question. Do you have any routines that you have implemented in your life? that you have found to prove to be successful for you? In, uh, in what way? Business, like, what um, career, any type of routines, things that you look back and you go, you know what, because I wake up early or because I read this much or because, and it's okay if you don't have any, it's just, I love to find out from people, hey, are there routines or things that they do systematically in their life that they look back and go, man, I'm so glad I've been consistent in that. I'm so glad I've kept that up. That's a really interesting question. Uh, you're catching me at a time in my life where um, <laughs> there's a quote from Naval, amazing business philosopher, um, early angel Naval Ravikant, 100% look him up if you, uh, to anybody who has not heard of him. There's a, there's a quote that he has that has stuck with me over the past, uh, I don't know, a year, uh, mostly the past seven weeks, but um, uncertainty is the root of stress, not the outcome. So I'm kind of in a period of my life where, uh, I mean, I'm sleeping on a mattress on the floor, been long distance from my husband for the past eight weeks, uh, getting ready to move back to Virginia. So the routine thing uh, does not exist. (laughs) The routine is just keep going. (laughs) uh, Yeah. I mean, I go to CrossFit. I drink a gallon of water a day. Uh, I think the routine's that I have are more along the lines of the mind mindset, Mm. um, that I practice. It's, 
I don't know if it's a routine per se, but a philosophy. Um, if you've ever heard of the, have you ever heard of the accountability ladder? Mm-hmm. So there's um, below the accountability ladder, it's like wait and hope, um, blame others, or make excuses, blame others. Um, and it continues to get more toxic from there. And then above the like um, awareness line is kind of like accept reality, um, find solution, make it happen. I love that. Um, that's kind of my guidance. If I have a habit, if that was the question, um, that I we'll, have, we'll accept um, philosophies. It, We're not picky. <laughs> we'll accept philosophies. I think that's just as strong. Philosophies are the, the foundation of life. Yeah, awesome. I had actually never, I've never heard of the, the accountability. I've heard the before. Term. That, I yeah, love I've, that. I've seen that's the, the first the time I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It's amazing. It's a, it's amazing. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing because on the other side of like the, because it's a, it's a difference between being accountable and operating like a victim. Yeah, it truly you, is. Yeah. So you know, like you kind, you have to like watch yourself and be like. You, you can't, you can't tell anyone they're acting like a victim, but that's something I don't, I personally like, I struggle with, like, I'm like, come on, like accept reality, find solutions, make yep. it happen. Like mm-hmm. we can make it happen. Like let's manifest this. Like let's bring this to life. Let's stop. Don't just wait and hope. Um, it, it's a really amazing thing. It's, uh, I, I think, I don't know. I must've been 17 when I stumbled across it. And it is like the, you know, how there's like one thing that people like to be known for. I think that's it. I, I want to be known for being, real and honest and accountable. Love that. Yeah. That is, yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Before we close out, let people know how they can connect with you and where they can get your book. Okay. So, uh, there you, <laughs> you can get it on Amazon. Um, and you can get it on Kindle. Uh, I'll be working on doing the, um, the audible version, but I want to record it myself. I don't want to pay somebody else to. I want it. I want it that. to be done myself. Um, if you leave a review and you email me after you've read it, don't please don't lie. Um, break my heart if you give me three stars or less. It's only my whole heart and soul. But if you leave me a review. Um, send me an email with your username. Um, just proof that you sent the review. I'll send you a free copy um, to share with the teammate. And then also to work with Triad, um, if you go to triadpartners.com slash apply, um, FP for stay paid. If you are an advisor that does $10 million a year in new assets, um, you're looking for more freedom in your life. You want to be able to grow your business and live your life and be able to take a sabbatical and not have everything bottleneck on you. I would definitely encourage you to um, apply to join the community. Awesome. Love and then that. I don't know, follow me on LinkedIn. Definitely um, look up and Chris. I'd love LinkedIn. to welcome you to my family. All right. And before we wrap up this episode, just wanted to cut in here real quick with a production note. While Kristen has been working so hard to get her book out there, there were some delays in the printing. So if you're listening to this podcast, when it releases, the book may not be available yet. But Kristen was kind enough to offer the first two chapters for free and early for stay paid listeners. To download the first two chapters for free, visit truthaboutdm.com slash early chapters. Again, that's truthaboutdm.com slash 
early chapters. And now, Josh, why don't you go ahead and wrap up the episode? Awesome. Love that. Thank you again so much for being here. Thank you all for listening. You can dive deeper in this episode, get those links that Kristen mentioned all in one place over at staypaidpodcast.com, as well as the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with a comment letting us know how we're doing. And the best way to help out the show and show your support is just to share this episode and the show with a friend. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com. And of course, you can find us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acree. And here is your action item from this podcast. One is you should definitely go follow Kristen on social, especially LinkedIn, because you're going to see real world examples of producing authentic content. And that can be so powerful to encourage you. And it's great content, right? You're going to learn a lot from the content. Really, this whole idea of being a magnet where you're attracting and repelling. I challenge each of you, what are you not sharing that you want to share, but you're holding back because of the opinions of others? Get out there, share your true authentic self and engage in that cave acronym. Create and add value, right? And then engage with people. Do that. Create and add value constantly and engage with people. And if you do that consistently, you're going to see that return, especially when it's authentic content. You're not even going to have to think about it. Remember, the difference between top producers and mediocre producers in every single business is top producers take action. Take action on that today. 